Ahoy, almost canners. Tis I, your daring host, Captain Nickbeard, our favorite co-host, Mr. Banks. I make it tonight, but that won't stop us from taking a trip back in time as we discuss one of the most iconic pirates to ever sail the seven seas. Captain Kid himself. <laughs> what is going on? Almost canonites. Cannoners. God, it's been so long, I know. It has been uh crazy, to say the least. Um Bank, the one and only. I don't know if he's gonna be able to make it. He started a new job, and he has just been swamped. So I, your daring host, Captain Nickbeard, will take you on this journey on my own. So, you know, I don't know about news or anything, but uh, I'm sure there's some crazy stuff going on uh, in the world since the last time we spoke, which I feel like it's been so long. We had we had an episode, but I was just... It's, wasn't up to par. I had I was sick with COVID, and I was like, eh, it just sounds like, like crap. Let's not. I don't want to put it out. Uh, so we have a lost episode out there. Um, maybe you'll hear it sometime. But tonight, I wanted to cover William Kidd, Captain Kidd himself. Uh, he seems to have been popping up in a few of our our episodes and our guests just randomly so i i wanted i figured you know we could go over who captain kid was and uh why he's popping up in these random conversations we're having with vermonters which is they're not even a, a, a coastal state and yet captain william kid is popping up in all these places so i figured we'd go over the story of captain kid his history his past uh why he's so iconic today you know bitch i'm sure we'll learn stuff because i i learned stuff i didn't even know about him but uh so I, where are we gonna start you know i was gonna ask bank uh what 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 are some things that come to mind when you think of captain kid uh i guess piracy definitely Treasure Island, I believe Treasure Island was based, you know, in part um, off Captain Kidd and, and, you know, the fact that he buried treasure. But what are some things that come to mind? Um, I guess that don't come to mind would be like conspiracy, um, politics, things like this. This is stuff that we'll get into towards the end. Um, things that I didn't know about, or I guess maybe things that I knew about, but I didn't know about fully. So. We'll we'll get into let's just we'll jump right into it. I don't have anything to really go over, other than this. Um, I'm shooting it alone by myself. So obviously, if I'm alone, if I'm alone, I'm by myself. So we'll see how this goes. I feel a little weird talking to myself, but whatever. So Captain Kidd, he was born sometime prior to October of 1654. 
most likely in the Scottish city of Dundee. And and we believe this, you know, historians believe this because Kidd himself called Dundee his birthplace during his trial. Um, and I think that, that records of his baptism have even been found within the city's archives. William Kidd's father died right around when he was five years old, and him and his mother would live off his father's pension. So he was a sailor. He had a sailor's pension. I'm just going to keep calling him Captain Kidd, but his name's William. William and his mother would live off this pension, and and William's, his, you know, his... uh. His youth is is not there's not a whole lot known about his youth. So he, he you know he drops off the map. He obviously didn't do anything important. Nobody kept records of him. But it I think it's it's fairly safe to say that William Kidd would have. It's definitely reasonable to believe that William would have been a sailor at a young age. So maybe like he would have took up a, up a position as a cabin boy, or. I don't know, maybe he went straight into being, you know, like a sailor, just swabbing the poop deck or something. Uh, but either way, it's safe to say that he most likely mastered the ways of the sea before, you know, he even arrived in the West Indies. So we know that he, his father died when he was five and that he, they lived off his father's pension. And then nothing is really known of Captain Kidd until the 1680s when he arrives in the Caribbean. So it's safe to bet that that Captain Kidd uh, definitely most likely mastered the sea before he, he even arrived in the West Indies during the 1680s. So in early 1688, William Kidd found himself on an island, uh, Isla La Veche. So he's on this island alongside this other dude named Robert Cullenford. Uh, you know, as we go down the line, just remember this this dude's name, Robert Cullenford. So Kidd and Cullenford, they... They would join a crew of privateers, um, sailed under this captain named named John Carpin, and they would bring the number of English sailors on this crew to six while there were 70 Frenchmen. And, you know, this isn't it's not too important, but the English and the French, they obviously during this time, they did not get along. So it's just it, it's something to point out. Uh, they then capture a Dutch ship. They renamed it the Dufon. And sailed it to New England. And in, in New England, they would unload their goods, resupply for a second voyage. Uh, and at this point, the, the crew, they take a vote. They remove Jean Carpin, you know, from his captainship and put Jean Fanton in his place. So that was that would be early 1688. So by 1689, um, the English and the French, they're at war again, open war again, the Nine Years' War. And this is when Captain Fanton, alongside French naval officer Jean-Baptiste Ducasse, they attempted an assault on a British colony at St. Christopher. You know, the those 70 French crewmen, along with, with uh, Captain Fanton and and this Jean-Baptiste Ducasse, they, they're they attacking this this British colony. Kid, what was the other dude's name? Robert Cullerford, Kid, and the you know, the other four um English sailors, they would use that that time to their advantage and they would they would take control of an unguarded Spanish ship that was previously captured by by Fanton and his crew. Um, and they would take that ship and they would sail it to a different British colony uh, at this this little island called Neves. It's a small island within the leeward island chain, you know, in the Caribbean. 
in the Leeward Island, they, you know, this chain of islands are the furthest out. Um, and while they did this, they they renamed the ship the Blessed William, and Kidd became its captain. He was most likely voted in by the crew, but he also, you know, it, it, historians are unsure whether he was assigned this leadership by Neves's governor, Christopher uh, Codrington, or if, you know, he was voted in by the crew. Kid, his crew, and the Blessed William, they became part of Nevis's small fleet. So the island was small, it had a small fleet, and their goal was to protect the island from the French. So, you know, obviously we know that the French, they're raiding these smaller uh, British settlements and these islands. You know, that's obviously how, how William and and uh, and Robert there got the, the Blessed William. Because while, you know, while Fanton, I believe his name was, and, and Ducasse, they were raiding this this British town. You know, obviously they they stole the ship. So the, the French, they're going around raiding all these smaller villages and towns on these islands. Um, and in order to, to, to fight back these smaller islands, they have to build up a fleet of ships to protect them. So Kid, he's part of this this fleet of, of Neves. Um, and like I said, their goal was to protect the island from the French and pirates. I mean, pirates were also out and they were, they were taking advantage of all the, the turmoil going on in the Caribbean at the time. So instead of being paid by Neves's governor, the governor just tells Kidd and his crew, you know, just take your pay from the French. So this is where Captain Kidd's privateering days really begin. Um, I think the, the first major take by by Captain Kidd was of the French colony of Mary Gallant. And Kidd was known to take over 2,000 English pounds worth of treasure and goods from the sacking of this this colony. Um, and they stored the gold within the Blessed William's holds and uh, were then ordered to help a battle against the French that would take place at sea. Now, Kidd's crew, they refused this. They didn't want to fight at sea. They knew how dangerous it was. You know, they they had just gotten paid. Um, and they wanted to spend their money. But Kidd reminded them that they were being ordered by the crown, and it was their duty to follow these orders. And that was when Kidd's crew mutinied, led by this this Robert Cullifer guy, this, you know, the guy he met on this, this tiny island of, uh, let's see if I can bring it up really quick here. Uh... The island of Veche. So, and that was 1688. Um, kids crewed, so they yeah they refused to fight at sea, and they would they would mutiny, led by Robin Cullerford. Uh, and Cullerford and the mutinied crew, they would steal the Blessed William from Kid, and this would start a long history, you know, a long storied history between the two, where they would just go back and forth against each other. Uh, in the spring of 1690, New York was was without a governor. So we're we're kind of moving, we're bouncing around here. We went from the Caribbean to New York. So Kid was known to have moved to New York at some point. Obviously, he he was all over the the map, being you know a ship's captain and and a uh, part of a ship's crew. But his home was in New York. So he's he's going back to New York. And in the spring of 1690, New York was without a governor. Uh, England's uh, glorious revolution had removed the Catholic. Uh, James II from the throne, and they replaced, and James was replaced with the Protestant Prince William of Orange. And because of this, Lieutenant Governor Jacob Les Leisler appointed himself acting governor of New York, and this created a small rebellion in his wake. Uh, Leisler hoped the crown would recognize him as the rightful governor, uh, as Leisler was. He was Protestant himself, just like the new king, Prince William. Now, King William didn't. 
Instead, King William appointed Colonel Henry Slaughter as the new governor, while Leisler refused to, to leave or even recognize Slaughter as, as the governor. And Captain Kidd was known to help uh, the new governor, uh, Slaughter, put down this rebellion and remove Leisler from the governorship by, you know, he would transport weapons. And I believe he would also use his ships because at this point he was, he was a ship owner and he would use his ships to, to stop those in support of Leisler. So this kind of brings us to this, this point of what's the difference between a privateer and a pirate? Uh, there's really only one difference. And that is a privateer is a, I'll just give you the the quick definition here. A privateer is a private captain who conducts maritime warfare under a commission of war, also called a letter of mark. This piece of paper would give the captain permission to take reprisals from enemy ships, but they were usually only produced during wartime. So a letter of mark is like, that's your written permission to attack the enemy, uh, but nobody else. And you, and then, you know, as you're attacking the enemy, you can steal whatever you want from them. But nobody else, just the enemy. A pirate, you know, is a private individual who attack, who just attacks any ship they want, takes whatever they like during wartime or peacetime. Uh, sometimes they would have letters of mark, obviously old ones that they would try to get away with using, you know, as a defense. But usually they would just, it was all out. They wanted a ship, they would take that ship. Didn't matter if it was British, French, Dutch, Spanish, they were they were taking it. Um, so yeah, by 1690, William Kidd had become an experienced sea captain, a ship owner, and a privateer. He had taken letters of mark from both New York and Massachusetts Bay, uh, with the aim of protecting their shores from the French as well as pirates that were known to sail in the waters off New England coast. So when we think of pirates, we don't think of New England. Um, we think of the Caribbean and oftentimes we don't even think of, you know, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, Africa, I guess, you know, like Madagascar, you know, pirates loved the coast of Madagascar. They were, they were off the coast. They were of Madagascar and the Caribbean. But, you know, usually when we think of pirates, we think of the Caribbean and, um, but New England was, was full of pirates. It was, you know, a lot of the, the, these ports along the coast of New England, they didn't care whether they got, you know, bought pirated goods or, or honest goods. It was, it was heaven. It was pirate heaven. So when we think of Captain Kidd, obviously we think of him being a pirate and he wasn't even a pirate, but we don't necessarily think of Captain Kidd as living on Wall Street and being, you know, a New York elitist, but he was. And that's kind of um, what's so fascinating about Captain Kidd. So on May 16th, 1691, William Kidd married Sarah Bradley Coxort. And she was a wealthy widow in her mid-twenties, so, you know, quite a bit younger than Kidd. Uh, Sarah was known as one of the wealthiest women in New York, thanks to her first husband's inheritance. Uh, William and Sarah, they had two children, uh, two girls, and for the next few years, the Kidd's family lived, you know, they would live happily. Kidd would become a proper English gent in New York high society. According to Alexander Winston, he was the author of this book, this is a long, long title. No man knows my grave. Sir Henry Morgan, Captain William Kidd, Captain Wood Rogers, in the great age of privateers and pirates, 1665 to 1750. He says, uh, Alexander Winston says, Captain Kidd owned eight properties, including buildings at Wall Street, Pearl Street, Water Street, and Pine Street, uh, with his maid residence being at 119 Pearl Street. And this 
119 Pearl Street. Pearl Street would have been waterfront at this time, like prime, prime real estate. Kids' home would have been on the waterfront, and it and it was near the, the old defensive wall that gave Wall Street its name. Kids' home stood three stories tall. It had multiple fireplaces and a large Turkish rug. And it was it was definitely the largest Turkish rug in the whole city. And it was some, you know, I read some things that it was the only Turkish rug in the whole city. Uh, so he had an extremely healthy stock of wine in his cellar. And this is quoted as in his, as ha- having 104 ounces of silverware. You know, there was just a quote I pulled from somewhere. I didn't get a a name off it but that would include different plates and cookware that were not even seen by the average new yorker at the time and it was also known that kid helped in the construction of the trinity church he he supplied needed materials and when it was finished he and his family they had they had their own pew kid wasn't known uh to attend church but his wife and his children were so i guess it was nice that they had their own pew rich people stuff right there um so this kind of brings us off topic a little bit, but it definitely sets uh, the story up for for why uh, they came down on kids so hard, harshly. And so this is the, I'm just going to call it the story of the Ganji Sawai. So the Ganji Sawai, it was a it was a type of Mughal, and the Mughals were the, you know, the, an empire in in India at the time. Uh, and it was a so the Ganji Sawai was a it was a a type of Mughal sailing ship classified as a, a Ganja Dao. And the Ganja Sawai, which is also known as the Gunsway in English, you know, it's easier to say. Uh, it was a massive treasure ship and it, it was transporting, you know, tons of treasure as well as, uh, the, you know, the Muslims that owned that treasure as they were making their way back from from the, the Hajj, which is, you know, a, re- a religious pilgrimage undertaken at least, you know, once once in a Muslim, Muslim's life. Uh, the Ganji Sawai, she held over 500,000 pieces of silver and gold. And like, we're talking uh, golden and bejeweled statues, as well as ju- just plain old jewels and jewelry of every kind. You know, the this treasure aboard the, the Gunsway. I'm, I'm going to start calling it the Gunsway for, for now because I cannot pronounce this, this stuff. Uh so the treasure aboard this Gunsway ship was estimated to be over $400 million worth of, of riches, if not more. So in the late summer of 1695, uh, the King of Pirates, and he would, this guy would, would get this name after the Gunsway heist. Uh, so the King of Pirates, this guy named Henry Avery, Captain Henry Avery, he met with, with several pirates, uh, the Rhode Island pirate, this this they call him the Rhode Island pirate. His name was Thomas too, as well as other pirate captains like Richard Want, Joseph Farrow, uh, Thomas Wake, William Mays, uh, in the hope of amassing this pirate fleet with the goal of tracking down this this Mughal fleet that was heading uh, for India from the Middle East. So they had, they had gotten wind that that there was this massive Mughal fleet just moving slowly through the ocean, as heading back towards India. And Henry Avery gets this idea to to rob this this fleet, and and he knows he needs he needs extra men. He needs more men than he's got to take these these ships. So they get together, they go after this this fleet, and you know they're tracking them down. And at some point during the night, uh, I think on like September sixth, there's at some point. 
the Mughal fleet slips past them and it's gone. They they missed it completely. And by the next day, the pirate fleet, it was just spread out over miles and miles. So that day, the next day, I believe it was the September 7th, Thomas II and his ship Amity, we all know that Amity means friendship, came across a straggler. So there's this one... This one Mughal ship, you know, making its way slowly through the ocean. And it, this 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 Mughal ship was the, the Fatah Muhammad. And two, he draws up against the ship. You know, he's going to take this ship. And two is pretty much killed almost instantly by a, a cannonball shot by the Muhammad. And this cannonball strikes two in the stomach. It rips him apart. And two dies right then and there. You know, that's, that's the story. No one really hears from two after that. So... History considers Thomas II killed on the deck of his ship by the Muhammad's cannons. The Muhammad then catches up with with the Ganges Hawaii, the Gunsway, and at some point on September 7th, Avery also arrives on the scene. So at some point, the Muhammad catches up with the Gunsway. The Gunsway is also by itself, and Avery, who just is nowhere around to, he never, ne- he never sees two. But he also arrives, you know, in the same area. And he goes up against the Muhammad, which was already weakened by its battle with two and the Amity. Uh, so a- Avery and his crew, they're able to to defeat the, the Muhammad quite easily. And then Avery, he he moves on to the Gunsway. This, this ship was said to be the biggest ship in all of India. And it held, you know, so it's, it's just like this massive floating city. It held 62 cannons, so 62 guns versus Avery's 46. And there was over 400 riflemen. And that's just the riflemen. There was even, there was passengers aboard. And the, these 400 riflemen was was more than the entire pirate fleet put together. The f- pirate fleet is still spread out. They're not together. So, but this doesn't, you know, this doesn't stop Avery. And he goes up and he, he's, you know, ship, ship battles at the time. They would pull up broadside to each other so that they could you know let loose their cannons and uh so they're doing this and the guns way it opens fire and one of the cannons on the guns way explodes kills you know all the men around it causes a, a huge fire and just confusion among the crew of the guns way so a- avery takes this you know uses this to his advantage and he's also able to to get this killing blow so he he one of his shoots his cannons off and he takes down the gunsway's main mast, just disabling the gunsway. It can't go anywhere. It's it's stuck dead in the water. And the gunsway they they've already they're already confused about this huge fire on board. And now with the loss of their their mast, they're just demoralized. Um, and they 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 pretty much give up without much of a fight. Uh, Avery he pulls his his ship up alongside the gunsway. Uh, Avery's ship was called the Fancy. Uh, and the majority of Avery's crew, they board the gunsway and they just, you know, they overpower it. Richard Want and Thomas Wake, they they never made it to the, the battle. Joseph Farrell made it, but he didn't join in the fight. And William Mays helped, but his crew, after all was said and done and they're, they're dividing up the treasure, uh, William Mays and his crew, they're caught trading clipped coins back to Avery's crew. And then Avery just takes back their share, you know, and a, and a clipped coin is so you got a coin, you clip the, the gold off the edges, you know, just a little bit. 
so it's not noticeable. And then you, you know, you pile those clippings and eventually you got a huge pile of gold clippings that's worth, you know, quite a bit probably. But, you know, Avery and, and Avery's crew, they find out that, that, that William Mays and his crew are doing this and they're like, screw you guys, you know, we're taking this back. And then Avery and his crew, they would slip off into the night at some point and they're never seen again. You know, several of Avery's crew, they're eventually rounded up, but Avery and the majority of his crew, they're just never seen again. They slip off into the night uh, and into the history books. You know, there's rumors of of Avery dying in poverty, but those rumors, they're, they're only rivaled by those him, of him living as a king in a pirate utopia somewhere off the coast of Madagascar. And and for those who had played the, the video game Uncharted 4, which is my all-time, hands-down, favorite video game there ever was. Jeez, I've put hours and hours in that game. It's just the story of Henry Avery and the Gunsway heist. You know, I, I know it's just a video game, but it's such a, an awesome, awesome story. And this pirate utopia of, of Libertalia's is an awesome story as well. But obviously, we're talking about Captain Kidd and not Henry Avery. So how does this, how does this all play into Captain Kidd's story? Well, Due to the political fallout caused by Avery in the Gunsway heist, British leaders, they needed to act, and they needed to act fast. The Grand Mughal uh, demanded action, and the East India Company had to provide compensation for the stolen treasure. And pirate hunters, you know, privateers hired by, you know, obviously the British, they were they soon scoured the seven seas for Avery and members of his pirate fleet, as well as other pirates. You know, this was this was a huge blow to the East India Company and they as well as the Mughal Empire, they also demanded action. So in December of 1695, uh, the Gunsway heist happened in September. This is December. Uh, Richard Coote, first Earl of Belmont and the governor of New York, Massachusetts and New Hampshire, provided Kidd with a royal commission, charging him. Uh, with the mission to kill or capture several pirates known to frequent the area of New England. And all of these pirates that were in the area were known to have taken part in the Gunsway heist. So these were pirates like Thomas II, who was already dead. Apparently news hadn't came out. So he's he's known as the Rhode Island pirate. Then we have John Ireland and Thomas Wake. Because John Ireland and Thomas Wake, they were all known to, to sail together, as well as William Mays, who had also been seen in the area. So we got four-fifths of kids kids voyage was paid for by british lords of the Whig party and you know the Whig party you got the Whigs and the tories at the time these are british politicians uh and that'll come into play later on so fourth fifths of kids voyage was paid for the majority of it was paid for by these these british lords um and they gave kid a letter of mark signed by king william himself the third of England, who also provided funds for this expedition. So Captain Kidd, he would set sail from England on his ship, the Adventure Galley, in 1696. And trouble almost arose, you know, right from the start for Kidd. Before he even made it to sea, Captain Kidd and his crew, they failed to show the proper respect to a Navy vessel as it was sailing up the, the Thames River. And because of this, the adventure galley was stopped and it was boarded. And Kidd's best officers were pressed into Royal Navy service, apparently illegally, but it didn't matter. And this forced Kidd to sail back to, to New York to collect a new crew before he was 
uh, going to head off to Madagascar. So his plan was to go to Madagascar all along. He loses the majority of his crew and he's like, crap, you know, I need to get, I get need to get more crew members. And apparently he goes to New York to pick them up for some reason. I don't know why he didn't just look around England, but after he gets these crew members, he sails to Madagascar and he doesn't find them. He doesn't see any pirates. He's sailing up and down, you know, the coast of Madagascar all around. And after not finding any pirates for, for you know, over a year, the majority of kids' crew begins to openly threaten to mutiny. So they were uh, operating on like a capture and keep type of type of deal. So if they didn't capture a ship, they didn't get to keep any, they didn't get paid. So they had to capture ships in order to get paid. And they they took a couple small, small ships, but nothing not in the... You know, they were hoping to find these these pirate ships that were just laden full of treasure. So on October 30th, 1697, a Dutch ship appears on the horizon. And a member of Kid's crew urges Kid to take the ship. Um, an act that it, Kid knows that this would have been seen as piracy. So Kid, he refuses. And the crew member, a man named William Moore, he calls Kid out on this. And Kid hits Moore in the head with a bucket, which apparently fractures Moore's skull. And Moore would die the next day. But that kind of calms everyone down. You know, they don't want a kid show of force kind of calms everyone down. And then on January 30th, 1698, a ship waving French colors was seen, uh, you know, on the horizon and kid goes after it. And this ship was the the Cata Merchant. It's a very well-known ship now. Uh, well, it wasn't then, but it is now. So this this Cata Merchant was an Indian ship. It was sailed by a mostly Indian crew and an English captain. And this English captain had French papers of protection. And she had a collection of Armenian merchants on board. You know, these merchants, they had, uh, they just had a vast wealth of these, these muslin cloths. It was a type of uh, clothing produced in Mosul, as well as silks and sugars, different, you know, a bunch of chests of opium iron and uh, saltpeter. And because this ship was waving a French flag and had French transport papers, Kids decides to ignore the fact that the ship was Indian and crewed by Indians and loaded with East India Company goods, as well as the Armenian merchants uh, and captain by a British captain, that he just takes the ship. He says, you know, the simple fact that, that the, the ship had French protection papers and a French flag uh, technically made it fair game under his privateer charter and, and kid knew this so he kind of you know raises the concern that this you know could be seen as piracy but technically it's not and so he allows his crew to vote on whether they wanted to sell the ship back to the Armenian merchants you know for pennies on the dollar um, or if they wanted to, to take the ship and sell it off you know for what it, what it was worth and they decide to take the ship and the goods with them, and they set sail for the closest harbor, where they would then sell off most of the cargo for gold, and from there they would quickly set sail again for New York. Uh, you know, and they wanted to to share. Kid wanted to share these riches with the governor Bellamont. It's not his name, but that's what I'm gonna call him. Before he went back to England to pay off the rest of his backers, so Kid knows that he's being hunted by several Dutch East India ships. Um, so he's got to be quick. You know, they go to the, the nearest harbor. They sell off this stuff. They're like, OK, now we got we got to get out of here. He knows he's being tracked down by East India ships. But he also knows that this was, you know, technically a French ship. So, you know, I, I might get, you know, a, a stern talking to, but I, I'm in the clear. But what he doesn't know is that this ship, the Cata Merchant, was owned by an Indian nobleman named 
Mulkis Khan. And he was this this guy was very close with the Grand Mughal. And he demanded that the British East India Company pay for the damages, a sum that that equaled somewhere around 710,000 British pounds. And that was a ridiculous amount of money back then. Before setting sail, Kidd gives the orders that if if he and the other two ships, so he's, he's got two other ships with him. He's got his ship, the Adventure Galley, the Cata Merchant, and then another one that they had taken. I forget what it was called. Um, I got it written down here somewhere. But uh, he gives the orders that if they separate, they are to meet at St. Mary's Island, you know, in Madagascar. So Kidd and, and his ship, the Adventure Galley, they arrive at St. Mary's Island. Who who do they find at St. Mary's? Robert Culliford. And this guy, he's just chilling. He's recently busted out of an Indian prison. And he had pirated his way, you know, through the, the Indian Ocean and into St. Mary's where he was laying low. Now, Kid, he planned on attacking Culliford, but he waited six weeks for his remaining crew. Oh, the November. That's That was the name of the other ship. So he waits six weeks for his, you know, half his crew that it's on the November, the other half that's on the Cater Merchant to arrive. And they're going to, you know, his plan is to to get his whole crew and attack Robert Culliford together because he, he doesn't believe he has enough men to take on, to take on Robert. So after, you know, six weeks go by, the November and the Cater Merchant, they finally drift in and 95 members of his crew have a mutiny and they decide to join Robert Culliford instead of attacking him. So they then they then strip Kid and his three ships of almost everything. They sink the November. Somehow he convinces them to leave their share, you know, what he owes his backers. He convinces them that they that he needs this gold. And uh Robert Cullingford and and 95 member of his crew, they they leave him there. So Kid was he was left, he's pretty much left the Kid a merchant in the, the adventure galley. But the adventure galley, it's 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 so when you, you you sail a ship through the ocean long enough, you know, there's these worms in the water and they eat the wood. So the adventure galley, it's it's so wormy in that they scuttle it. So they they sink the adventure galley and they he loads everything onto the Cater Merchant. He renames the Cater Merchant the Adventure Prize. Uh, and then he sets sail on the Adventure Prize for New York. And 10 months after his crew had mutinied, Kid arrives back in the Caribbean on the outskirts of the Leeward Islands. And this is where Kid first hears that he's a wanted pirate. He painstakingly made sure that he wouldn't take ships that weren't, you know, expressly forbid by his his contract. And, and he did that. He he refrained from taking several ships that his crew wanted to take, but he did take the the Cata Merchant. Even though it, it had a French flag, but he's still, apparently, he's been called a pirate. Um, so then Kid, uh, he holds up on this, this small, you know, abandoned island called Mona Island. Apparently, all these merchants from, so he tries to go to, I forget, I forget the name of the island, but he tries to go to this other island, but the governor, he's not, he doesn't let Kid uh, land on this island and sell off the rest of Kid's goods. So instead of, so Kid goes and he holds up on Mona Island and all the merchants, they kind of come to Kid and they buy, you know, all the rest of Kid's goods. And Kid's able to purchase one of the merchant ships. Uh, and he, he at some point he decides to sail to New York um, to plead with Governor Governor Bel- Belmont that the Cata merchant was a legal prize 
and he shows him, you know, and kid's been holding on to these French papers from the Cato merchant, and he, he he's going to show these papers to Bellamont. He's sailing back to New York, and in June of 1699, well, I guess first he tries to go to New York, and then he finds out that before he, he obviously gets all the way to the governor's mansion, he finds out that Bellamont is in Massachusetts. So Bellamont was also the, the governor of Massachusetts, uh, as well as New York and New Hampshire. So he, he sails for Boston. Uh, and in June of 1699, on his way to Boston, you know, to answer for his charges, Kid stops off at, at this, this, this small island called Gardner's Island. It's a 3,000-acre island off the coast of Long Island between Montauk and Fisher's Island. Fisher Island is another small island. And with permission of the gardeners, Kid buries some of his treasure. A chest full of gold dust, rubies and diamonds, uh, golden candlesticks and other, you know, goods like that, other golden goods, as well as a box of gold he intended to use to bribe Bellamont with. Uh, Two boxes of silver. All in all, this is about 10,000 English pounds worth of treasure. And, you know, he tells, he shows, he obviously shows uh, the gardeners where this, this treasure is and he you know, he gifts Mrs. Gardner this golden cloth, which they they don't have, but you can also, you can see it. it. It you know it still survives the day. It was a sheet of golden cloth made from silk uh, and cotton, and these these fibers that are like imbued with gold and silver. You know, and he he gives this to Mrs. Gardner, but he also says, "My treasure better be there, and if it's not, I'm gonna kill you when I get back." And there were also I also read some rumors that that Mr. Gardner he he took a diamond and that he had this kind of passed down through the family. That was 1699, June of 1699. And then so Kid arrives. Uh, let's see here. So it's I guess before he arrives in Boston, he he somehow receives word that Bellamont is offering him clemency. But Kid must you know he must meet Bellamont in Boston to receive this this clemency. So. At the same time as all this is going on, government Bellamont is worried that he's going to be implicated in Kid's piracy. So to solve this, his plan is to arrest Kid and hand deliver him to the lords who financially backed Kid. You know the ones back in England, these these Whigs back in England. So on July sixth, sixteen ninety nine, Kid was arrested on five counts of piracy and one count of murder because he had. You know, that William Moore guy who he had hit in the head with a bucket and his fractured his skull, he had died the, the day after. And kids charged with William's uh, murder. So he's kids, he's held in solitary confinement within Stone Prison. And this prison, you know, it, it held a couple other, you know, semi famous people such as Sarah Osborne and Sarah Wilds. And these, these were, were witches of the Salem witch trial. They had died in Stone Prison, as well as Captain Preston, Thomas Preston. He had ordered his troops to fire on colonists during the Boston Massacre. He, he didn't die in, in Stone Prison, but he was he was held there at this time as well. Uh, local governments within you know the colonies as well as, as Britain were changing and newly appointed Tories. Just, you could consider them like conservatives of the day. They were, uh, you know, kind of taken over a little bit, and they 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 chose to use the arrest of Kid to embarrass the Whigs, who were, you can consider them the liberals. So they they use this this uh, uh, Captain Kid's arrest to embarrass these these Whigs, um, and Kid he's transported to England, where he spends you know the rest of his days in Newgate Prison. 
Kidd, Captain Kidd, believing that these British noblemen who, who backed his privateering ship, they would stand up and protect him. Kidd, he chose to remain quiet. Uh, after all, you know, he's, he, he, he knows that his taking of the Cade merchant was technically legal and he's going to fight that, that point. He, you know, he, he enters those French papers as evidence. He's going to use them, except nobody steps up to help him. And when he realizes this kid begs for the French passes that he had held on to, except nobody can find them. They're lost They're You know, who knows? This is where the conspiracy starts to come in. Were they purposely hidden? You know, did they really just forget about them somewhere? Either way, these French passes, nobody can find them. Nobody has ever heard of them. And Kidd is convicted on all counts. Not one of his backers, not even the king of England himself, came to Kidd's defense. So it's believed the reason behind this is because those who backed Kidd, they'd been frozen out of a lot of these, these East India profits. So the East India Company, they were making money hand over fist. Uh, and these... These guys who had backed kids, his pirate hunting excursion, they they had been lords who were blocked, you know, out of of this money. And they the idea was that they were going to use uh, the goods captured by, you know, kid, which would have been uh, East India Company goods. They were going to sell that off and make their own profits from these goods kind of all on the download. They wanted, you know, they didn't really want anyone to know that this is this is what they were planning on doing. But when Kid captures the Kata merchant, you know, that throws that whole plan into the air, people know what's going on now. And so instead of like stepping up to protect him, they all stay quiet. They don't want anything to do with this. They they want people to forget that they were ever involved and they kind of cut their losses. On May 23rd, 1701, I believe, Kidd and a few others, they're carted to the, the permanent pirate gallows at Execution Dock in Wapping. So that the Execution Dock itself was located just offshore and below the low tie line. So this is where the jurisdiction of the Admiralty began. Kidd was reportedly drunk and still hoping that his backers would come through for him. Right up until the end, the rope was fixed around Kidd's neck. And as the gate was dropped... The rope snapped and killed, you know, he fell into the muddy banks of the river. So the, the chaplain, he has to pray over him once again. He's strung up again uh, and he's, he's hanged until dead, you know, on the second time. And his body is taken down after the customary three tides washed over it. And kid was caged within a, a, a giblet. I think it's called a giblet or no, not a giblet, a, a fucking gibbet. There we go. Woo, a gibbet. Uh, God, I just want to say giblets. It's a fucking giblet. Gibbet! And hung over the River Thames at Tubury Point for the next two years. Two years. He's hung there for two years for all to see, you know, as a warning. So he's hung in a gibbet for two years for all to see. Warning pirates. Arr, stay away. Don't come here. You will hang you in your will hang you by your giblets. Party ar har. Um so yeah, that's the story of Captain Kidd. He was not a pirate. We know him as to be a pirate. Captain Kidd, not a pirate. He was a privateer. And a man of high society. He was a New York gentleman, not a pirate. Uh, but he was also the only pirate to ever officially bury treasure so 
we know Captain Kidd buried treasure on Gardner's Island. And that's one of the things that makes him so uh, iconic and popular today. And that's what, you know, the fact that Captain Kidd buried treasure uh, on Gardner's Island that inspired Robert Louis Stevenson to write Treasure Island. Um, what else do we know Kidd for? The conspiracy? Um the whole Wigs and Tory thing that that became real popular uh, quite recently. And I think it was like, what, 100 years ago, they finally found the French passes. They were there in the open. They obviously ignored somebody ignored them. You know, they were right there in the books. And if if those passes had been used in court, Captain Kidd most likely would have got off. But he had just screwed with the wrong people. So, what are some myths born uh, from Captain Kidd? I think one of the biggest myths that we can thank Captain Kidd for is is John Jacob Astor. Is the the myth of how John Jacob Astor got his really got his wealth. So, John Jacob Astor, he was a German born man who emigrated to America and became a businessman. He is widely considered the first multi millionaire in America. So. Aster, he uh, moves from Germany to England where he worked at his uncle's music shop. And so, you know, eventually Aster, he would immigrate to to the U.S. in 1793, leaving England with, with very little money and seven flutes to sell. Aster, he would meet a fur dealer on the ship over who, who advised Aster to get into the fur business. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. So Aster, he would... He builds his wealth through the fur trade. And this is where John Jacob Astor's story connected with Captain Kidd's. At some point in the early 1800s, when Astor was first getting into the fur business, one of Astor's trappers is said to have stumbled across an old iron lockbox within a cave somewhere in Deer Isle, Maine. Now, this box was said to contain uh, old Spanish and French coins, you know, all kinds of jewels and jewelry, even some sort of bracelet that was known to be uh, taken by Captain Kidd. Uh, Astrid was said to have secretly sold the treasure in England and deposited $1.4 million in his bank account in New York. And that, that would be like $32.8 you know, million in today's money. But it turns out this account is pretty much entirely fake. It was written... You know, sensational news. It was yellow journalism. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's a great story. I wish it was true, but I'm 99.9% sure it's completely fake. Uh, great story, though. So then we got Block Island. I guess let's just get into some. So we know Kevin Kidd buried treasure. And one of the, the last thing, what do we want to call it here? We know Captain Kidd buried treasure. One of the lasting legacies of Captain Kidd is that there's still treasure out there. He's, you know, he buried more than the Gardner Island treasure. And where is it? So Block Island has become a popular location. Uh, it's an island near Gardner's Island. Kidd was known to have stopped there on Block Island for about three days. Uh, and a woman named Mercy Sands is said to have allowed Kidd to bury treasure on her land. And she was paid, you know, for allowing Kid to bury the treasure. Kid gives her some gold, golden coins, and that that's one of the, the the said locations of Kid's treasure. Now, where else would Kid bury treasure? 
kid was known to have uh, stopped at Mona Island before he came, you know, sailed back to New York. And Mona Island is where he sold off the rest of his goods to all these these merchants. So he would have had a, a huge influx of 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 wealth at this time. So this island, Mona Island, it's halfway between the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. You know, that's where kid held up before he he sailed back to to Belmont. Believe that kid could have easily buried treasure on Mona Island. So a lot of people have looked for treasure there, and so even with just doing this podcast, this small tiny podcast, Captain Kid and his treasure has come up in, in on two different occasions. That was once when we were talking to Brad and Eddie about you know this this tr- this lost Vermont treasure on Camel's Hump, and these people were supposedly digging for Captain Kid's treasure on. Uh, camel's hump and the other time was when we were talking with Annette Spaulding and Annette was talking about this small island in the Connecticut River where she believes she found something that could point to Captain Kidd's treasure being in that location so that got me thinking you know where else is Captain Kidd's treasure supposedly hidden other than you know these major places like Mona Island and, and Block Island you know where else would it be and so one one of the places uh that i really wanted to look into was this this um this kid island here not far from here in northfield mass so this this is the story behind kids island treasure so in the 19th century a resident of northfield mass named abner field spoke with a well-known conjurer so this would have been like a, a psychic uh, and he hoped to find the location of Captain Kidd's lost treasure. The psychic told Abner where to dig and exactly what he needed to do in order to uncover the loot. Uh, the psychic told Abner that Kidd had murdered one of his crew members and buried the body next to the treasure, hoping his ghost would forever protect the gold, and that was why no one had yet found it. The psychic also told Abner that he needed to dig at midnight when the moon was full. He needed two companions as three was a magical number. They needed to stand in the shape of a triangle as they dug, and they needed to remain completely silent as they dug. On the next full moon, Abner and two friends, they rode out to Clark Island. We now call it Kid Island. uh, And they began digging for the treasure, remaining totally quiet as they dug. After what seemed like hours, the three men, they hit something deep beneath the ground. One of the men yelled out in excitement, and as he yells out, the treasure chest sinks deeper into the ground and a fiery spirit appears out of nowhere and chases the three men off the island and uh, back to the, you know, the shores uh, of the river. And so I was like, wow, that's a crazy story. So I looked into several other stories and they're all surprisingly very similar. They all seem to to uh, consist of this fiery spirit that comes out of nowhere, chases the people away. At the same time, they all consist of the treasure chest sinking deeper into the ground or being pulled back, you know, further into the cave. I just found that to be awfully strange. So, yeah, so we got, you know, Lion's Rock, which is outside of of Lyme, Massachusetts. Kids treasure is supposedly under this large rock. It's guarded by a demon. We have Charles Island in Milford, Connecticut. A local construction company dug for the treasure. They uncovered the chest's lid. Uh, but a headless man scared them away. Then this blue flame uh, appears all over the, you know, where they were just digging. And when they return, their tools are gone and the hole was covered up. 
Then we got Mohagan Island in Maine, a cave with a large chest of kids' treasure guarded by a ghost. And when they yelled out in surprise, you know, the, the treasure chest is pulled deeper into the cave. Then there's Damakarta Island in Kennebec, Maine. It's like a, it's like, I don't know why they call it an island. I didn't look any pictures up of it or anything, but it says there's a bottomless lake uh, and kids' treasure is within the depths of this lake. And so there's these ancient looking iron ring bolts that have been sunk into the, the rock on either side of the opening of this lake. Um, and they believe that's where kid, you know, you know, drop hooked his treasure to these rocks and then dropped it into the depths uh, a section of the the piscawatta river which runs between new hampshire and maine was said to hold a chest that belonged to captain kidd but every time it was revealed it would slip deeper and deeper into the ground until a, a devilish horse charged the diggers out you know jumps out of nowhere charges the diggers scares them off uh, and when they returned the chest was just lost for good and they could never find it again it just sunk you know so deep into the ground they can they couldn't find it uh then you got kids tree near near sandy hook in new jersey liberty island new york is said to be uh also there's you know this big flat rock that is said to hide captain kids treasure also guarded by some sort of of devil surrounded by blue flame so you know that was the majority of the the new england kids stories who knows, you know, maybe Captain Kidd still does have some missing treasure still. You know, I was doing some thinking after all this research. Now, this Captain Kidd, he he buries his treasure on Gardner's Island in, in late June of 1699. And he's not arrested until, you know, early uh, July, like July 10th or something. I forget, it was 7th or 10th or 6th or something. So, you know, there's a there's space of time. I know, I know sailing, it's, it's not like he's driving a car or flying a helicopter around. Sailing takes a little longer, but there is, you know, a good week, week and a half there where he could have buried more treasure. Or maybe before he buried treasure on Gardner's Island, he buried, he sailed up the Connecticut River. And, uh, you know, kid knew Belmont was governor of Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Maybe he sails up the Connecticut River looking for Belmont. You know, he doesn't want to go to the city where he knows that he will be arrested immediately, but he knows Bellamont could be at some, you know, he knows Bellamont owns some sort of property uh, somewhere up the Connecticut River. You know, you'd have to, someone would have to dig through historical records to find out if this is true or not, obviously. But so he decides to sail up the Connecticut River in hopes of finding Bellamont. He doesn't want to go to Boston. Uh you know, he gets up the Connecticut River. He gets far enough away from where he believes Belmont would have been. And, you know, he says, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to bury what I got here, Kids Island, uh, Northfield, Massachusetts, and turns around, goes back down to the mouth of Connecticut. Back, you know, which is, pops out right next to, not next to, obviously, but right out into Long Island Sound, uh, not far away from Gardner's Island. And this is where he he decides to to bury the rest of his loot at Gardner's Island. And then from there, he goes to Boston where he's arrested. You know, I believe I should have looked this up, but I believe he even tried to bribe. Um, I don't know if it was Bellamont or another official with buried treasure. He said he had more buried treasure and he would pay him off. So 
was he referring to buried treasure on Kids Island, Northfield? Was he referring to buried treasure on Block Island? Was he referring to buried treasure, uh, you know, under Lions Rock, Charles Island? Who knows? Maybe he's got more treasure out there. I'd like to believe that he does. I think he obviously definitely had time to bury more treasure. And he did have an awful lot of treasure <laughs> left over. Even after being robbed by Culliford, he still had, you know, tens and tens of thousands of pounds worth of, not pounds, but English pounds worth of treasure. And I'm sure it's still out there. So that sounds almost canon to me.